What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. Oasis is the college and young adult ministry at Park West Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Come hang out with us if you're ever in the area on a Thursday night. We'd love to meet you face to face. If you don't already, make sure you follow us on social media at Oasis PWC to stay updated with everything going on here with the Oasis family. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. Let's jump in. It is Easter week. Tonight I've got an Easter message for you. Are you ready for the word? We're going to Matthew chapter 27. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Welcome home. If it is your first time here, this is a place where you can encounter the love of God with people that love God and love each other. My goal for you tonight is that you would encounter the love of Jesus and gain some friends in the process. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 27, you got it? It'll be on the screen. If you don't, we're going to get there. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 13, Jesus has been arrested. He's having a conversation with the governor named Pilate, and it says in verse 13, Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Tonight, I want to preach a message titled, The Silence That Saved Me. The silence that saved me. Turn to your neighbor and say, silence. <laughs> we need to pray. That was fun. Lord, thank you for being here. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, we thank you for what this week represents and the victory that we have in you. God, I ask tonight that you would allow your Holy Spirit to be so present in this room. That it wouldn't be another church service or just another Thursday night. That this would be an opportunity to encounter you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, where are my egg hunt lovers in the house? Like, you were there. How many of you were like, maybe you were like some of the older children and you were like, you were dirty about egg hunts. Like, you were tripping siblings and poking eyes out and it was a whole thing. You see, we used to do our Easter egg hunts at Nana and Granddad's house, and they had a massive front yard, and there were seven of us grandkids, and I kind of sat somewhere in the middle of the grandkids, but I was a little scrappy, so it was okay. And every year, we would sit in the living room, and they'd close the blinds, and all the parents and grandparents would go outside and hide eggs all over the place, and then just as you can imagine, we would go all out for the egg hunt. And I'm confident that over the years, there were some tears cried. There was frustration because my cousins that were very athletic got more eggs than I did, who was very not athletic. But we made it a fun adventure every year. Eventually, we got older, and that didn't stop us because we were so nostalgic that something still had to happen on Easter. How many of you, like, you were doing egg hunts at, like, 13, 14 years old? Be loud and proud. It's fine. He said, keep going. 15, 16 years old. How many of you are doing egg hunts at your Nana's house this weekend? All right, there's a couple of you like, yeah, Nana. Dylan, you are the only one coming to this egg hunt. It's just you. (laughs) But that's going to be so much fun. But for real, we did it all through youth. We kept growing up, growing up. Eventually, they started doing Not just an egg hunt, but like a scavenger hunt. There was one year it poured down rain, and my poor parents and grandparents and everybody was just trying to figure out 
what to do to make this still a fun experience. So they were like writing riddles down on paper. And there were seven of us that were getting older at this point in this tiny little house, wandering around. They just do the scavenger hunt. There's something about scavenger hunts. Where am I like escape room people? Like you have seen National Treasure 800 times. <laughs> You're like, it's real. I'm telling you, it's real and the birds aren't. <laughs> and it is a serious situation. <laughs> wow, this just got... I'm sorry. <laughs> There's something about an adventure. I love puzzles. I love those kind of scavenger hunt type moments. I ran into somebody recently that was... We were having this conversation about puzzles. And they were like, yeah, I love puzzles. In fact, I love puzzles so much that I like to put together puzzles without looking at the picture on the box. I was like, I pray to rebuke that spirit. <laughs> the problem with that is you're literally like you're putting something together and you have no idea what's happening. It's like putting together something with Legos, but you don't, see what, you don't know what the finished product is. Like you're putting all these pieces together and you're halfway through and you're like... What does all that go to? Like, what is this? That's what I'm saying. You, you got like, you missing half the second pages of the book, right? You get through and you're just trying to figure out what the final product is going to look like. There are times in life where you're in these moments that like you're halfway through going, what? What's the final product going to look like? I don't know about you. I've been in moments, especially in the last two years. We just celebrated the two year anniversary of the craziness of March. I don't know if you heard about it. March 2020, it was a whole thing. Maybe you were there for it. Maybe, maybe you weren't there for it. It was a whole situation. But I feel like basically since March of 2020, I've been kind of going, huh, where are we going with this? What's the, what's the final product going to look like? The scripture that we're looking at tonight is incredible to me because Everybody around Jesus is watching this scene go down. And you have people that are for Jesus and people that are against Jesus. And they all have an understanding of where they're at right now. But nobody fully understands what's happening. It's like a Transformers moment. There's more than meets the eye. And some of y'all really got that. And it just like blessed you. And you could go home right now and be totally okay. And some of you didn't. And I love you anyway. That's totally okay. So much of Jesus' ministry was spent where he's moving and he's healing and he's performing these miracles. People get saved all over the place. And it's like there's only half an understanding of what's actually happening. The context for Matthew chapter 27 is back six chapters before they celebrate what we now know as Palm Sunday. It's what happened last Sunday. If you were here, it was a hoot and a half. You can quote me on that. We had Sunday fun day. We had a couple hundred kids come through for an egg hunt. And somewhere I have a video. If I was smarter, I would have put it on the screen. I told our dream team earlier, we put all these eggs out. And we had to do it in different groups because they were going to kill each other. There were so many of these kids. But when we said go, it was literally like an, a war broke out. Like, I swear you could hear like, for Narnia! Like, they took off. Running like crazy, this poor little kid tripped right across my foot. I felt so bad. She didn't make it off the concrete patio. She came over to the, and I was like, oh, sweetie, are you okay? I promise her dad didn't even look me in the face. He was like, picked her up. He said, you're okay, you're okay. 
in my head I knew, like, you don't care. You're just hoping she's going to go get you some candy. But he was like, you're okay, you're okay. Get, you got to go. There's good stuff out there. They're getting it. You, you got to go get it. We have this massive egg hunt for Sunday Funday, for Palm Sunday. Well, what that is based off of was this moment where Jesus fulfilled all of these prophetic words. He rides into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey. They come into the city, and these people have gathered all around declaring, Hosanna, here's the Messiah, right? This is it. This is the moment. It's like they were singing a minute ago. It's this all hail King Jesus moment where something beautiful is happening. Something incredible is taking place. But the religious leaders really don't know what to do with this. When you look at the Gospels, you really do. You see these couple groups of people. There were very few people that were just kind of like ambiguous with Jesus. Either they really liked him or they really didn't like him. There wasn't a whole lot of in-between. You had one group that was singing, All hell, King Jesus, the King is here. And you had another group that's really struggling with the idea that this Jesus could be the Messiah that had been prophesied about all through the Old Testament. You see, they had this idea that the Messiah that was about to come take over was going to be this big like king guy that was coming in with a sword and he was going to set everybody free and it was going to be this incredible situation. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and they didn't really know how to handle the situation that was unfolding. Like I said, now you've got this situation where you have these people that have an opinion about Jesus, but they have no real context for what's happening in this crazy moment. There's this political uproar that is happening. Jesus has been arrested because the religious leaders don't know how to handle it. And there's this thing that stirs up inside of me when I read this passage that it just, I'm, I'm just annoyed. I'll put it that way. I'm annoyed by what has happened because this Jesus that lived a sinless life gets arrested for no reason. And it's so much so that when you really read this, you see these areas where even Pilate is kind of confused. There's something in me that stirs, that's frustrated, that it doesn't really feel like justice is happening. Turn to your neighbor and say, justice. No, like you're Batman and you're about to like carry out some justice. There. <laughs> Just. That was so good. Vengeance. No, that's very different. That's very different. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's something innate inside us that has this feeling for justice, this longing for justice. And if you don't believe me, go watch a movie. Because most movies have this situation. It doesn't really matter what it is. Most movies have a villain. And at some point or another, you're like, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. Like, this is bad. We can't handle this. There's something inside you that goes crazy. When I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Taken. Oh, my gosh. If you've not, go like IMDb it and pray about whether or not you want to watch it first because it is a crazy movie, y'all. But to spoiler alert, basically the story of the movie is this guy who's like crazy ex-military secret service guy. His daughter goes on this trip and she gets kidnapped and sold into sex slavery. And dad is like, oh no, not going to have it. And literally the whole movie is him like terrorizing the world to get his daughter back. And the first time I watched this movie, it's so bad. Because you land in a place where you're like, yeah, kill them all. Get your daughter back. And you're like, oh, wait, God, that's not you. <laughs> like, we, we missed it. But the core of that isn't really a bad, like, there's something inside us that wants things to be right. When something is wrong, it's like, no, that's, that's not right. You look at the story, you look at Jesus in this situation, and it's like, man, that's not right. Turn to your neighbor and say, Justice. There's an aspect of this justice 
that we have in our hearts or at least a longing for a sense of it that's from God. Psalm 89 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. That's how, man, you get into the Old Testament. Can we just talk about some weird things about our faith for a minute? Now we have this incredible gospel of of this Savior that gave his life for us. But there are times, especially when we're like trying to tell people about Jesus and the Old Testament comes up, the New Testament, like we talk about things that happen in Scripture and we ask questions and there's stuff that I don't fully understand. Is that okay for a pastor to say? There's a lot of context for... um, sacrifice and and sacrifice of worship and you look at the old testament and the priests would literally sacrifice animals as worship or as a cleansing for the sin that they had confessed and when you try to talk to somebody that's not a christian about that it's weird that because what they picture is like a weird cult where you're like throwing animals in a volcano right like that's (laughs) that's what they picture yeah this is a whole other situation that's not really what's happening here You have to understand, sin is death. Like, that was not a part of the plan. We serve a God that is perfect. A God that is so holy. To the point that in the Old Testament, there were times when he would show himself just a little, where the glory of God would show up and people would just die. Because the glory of God, the perfection of God, was too much for people to handle. So when Adam and Eve sinned, we had this automatic problem because we're no longer holy like he is holy and there's this separation that takes place. So where justice kind of comes into this is in the Old Testament, it was, okay, well, a sin has been committed. And in in Hebrews chapter 9, it actually says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. When a sin was committed, there had to be sacrifice. And again, this gets so messy, and when we read it, it's kind of hard to understand, and you're processing, but the reality is wrong is wrong. And if you've lived long enough, you know that when something wrong happens, there's consequences for it. Always. Every time. When somebody lies, it hurts everybody. I know some stories that are in the room, and y'all have been through some stuff where a friend or a family member did or said something that was sin, and what sin does is it destroys. That wasn't God's plan. That's not how this was supposed to work. And because of this grossness, this sin, this issue, there has to be a sacrifice in order for justice to take place. Turn to your neighbor and say, justice. But the beauty of gospel is that what's about to unfold is a version of justice that my mind doesn't even fully understand. Jesus has been arrested because the people don't know how to handle the miracles that he's doing. People are frustrated. Religious leaders, preachers, are so frustrated with what Jesus is doing that they've arrested him. But Jesus is about to give himself as a sacrifice. That's the gospel. And I know we've heard it preached a thousand times. That's that's the gospel. That God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Somebody say amen. 
So Jesus has been arrested. There's this issue of justice. He stands before the governor. And it's funny, the Bible actually says that governor, a uh, Pilate, his wife comes up to him and basically says, don't have nothing to do with any of this. I had a dream and there's a lot going on here and we don't want to mess with any of this situation. But he's the governor. He has to have this conversation. He's got all these religious leaders that have brought Jesus to him. And here's the conversation that takes place. Let's start in verse 11 of chapter 27. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony? They are bringing against you, but Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Turn to your neighbor and say, silence. And here's why this matters. I'm going to keep moving forward. Verse 15. It says, now every year at Passover, it was the custom of the governor to pardon a prisoner and release him to the people. Anyone that they wanted. And at that time, Pilate was holding in custody a notorious criminal named Jesus Barabbas. Turn to your neighbor and say, Barabbas. So as the crowds of people assembled outside of Pilate's residence, he went out and offered them a choice. And he asked them, would you want me to release to you today Jesus who is called Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Anointed One? At any moment, Jesus could have changed his narrative with Pilate. And because of how intently Pilate is listening to this conversation and everything that his wife has told him, I kind of think he'd have found a way to snuck Jesus out the back door. But he just stayed quiet. This is, the Bible says he is the Lord of angel armies. If he snaps his fingers, he gone. He's out of there. He doesn't have to deal with the stress in the situation. He's no longer a prisoner. He could just roll right along. He just stays silent. And the people start screaming, give us Barabbas. And again, this justice thing in me is going, what? <laughs> Jesus didn't do it. All Jesus has done is healed and saved and transformed the world. And the religious people that spent their lives reading Scripture, prophesying about when Jesus would come back, are now saying, no, keep him, give us the criminal. There's no justice in that. This whole situation hurts my head. I'm angry at the religious people for allowing it to happen. I'm angry at Pilate for not changing anything. I'm reading this and this justice thing inside of me is freaking out because I couldn't understand why Jesus wouldn't just say something. Why is Jesus allowing this to happen? But when I put myself into this story, I'm Barabbas. I'm not necessarily the religious one on the outside or, or somebody that's holding fast to Jesus being who he says he is. When Jesus found me, I was Barabbas. I was the one that had been arrested, that was in trouble. My decisions, my mistakes got me where I was. And it's like Jesus just said, hold on, and just stood there. And the governor's going, don't you hear what the people are saying? They're shouting for me to release this guy. Why are you... 
silence. Silence. There are times when silence speaks more than words. And in this moment, Barabbas walks free because Jesus just stands in his place. Justice? Question mark? See, I'm Barabbas in this story. And some of you know my story, some of you don't. But I grew up in church. I actually grew up in this church. I joke that I stayed around so long they brought me on staff. But I grew up here in this church, and I, I learned to love the Lord very early on. Jesus got a hold of me as a kid. Um, praise God, he did. But I was so anxious. Those of you that have known me a long time, you like praise the Lord with me for where I am right now. But I was so anxious. I was, oh my goodness, I was the most insecure young man on the planet. And I had all these stomach issues to the point that in middle school, I'd be so excited about like a weekend fall retreat. And if you grew up in church, you already know what that's about. Like you going on a, a youth fall retreat at seventh grade, you're going to get saved and you're going to find the love of your life, right? Like that's what we're all praying about in seventh grade. I was so ready to go on this trip and I would be so excited about the trip that I'd get sick at my stomach and have a panic attack and have to stay home. As a middle school kid. I was struggling, like everybody else, to figure out who I was going to be, what life was going to look like, whatever. Eighth grade comes around, and we had the cool kids in the neighborhood. Like, they were a little older. They whipped poor, overweight me and basketball all over the place. I tried so hard, but all I had was sixth grade upward, right? Like, it was not, it was not going to happen, and I've not got much better since then. But I was so excited because I had been invited to this dude's house to stay the night. And it was a group of like the older guys in the neighborhood. And I'm like, yes, I have made it. And my stomach calmed down enough to go to the night. I was like, this is it. I made it in, right? Popular. Everything's great. We're doing good. I go and stay the night at his house. We get up the next morning. His parents had left for work. I think it was over the summer. And he turns this movie on TV. And there was nudity in the movie. And I'm looking around. Like, are we, Susan would have turned this off by now. Like, that's a, mom, like, that doesn't seem right. And I was hooked. Seventh grade. End of seventh grade going into eighth grade. The first time I'd ever seen pornography. I was an anxious, insecure mess. And the devil so intentionally went and just added some fuel to the fire. And for years... I was in this Barabbas place. And the problem was I loved the Lord. So I would like internally the anxiety was even worse. Some of you have heard me say it before, but the Bible says there's a war inside you between the spirit and the flesh. So when you're saying one thing and living another, that war will get real intense. You'll watch anxiety, fear, depression and stuff go all through the roof. And it's because you raise your hands on Sunday and live different on Monday. And that's where I was for a long time. I had this tension. I had this struggle. I didn't know what to do but Jesus. And that's the gospel. I don't have all the answers. I don't understand it all. But I promise you, it's like I knew my life was hopefully going somewhere. 
It's like when we started the sermon, I was talking about just kind of being in this position. You didn't have the road map, right? You didn't know what this Lego piece was going to look like when it was all put together. I was in this weird position where I hoped there was a future, but I had no idea what it was going to look like. And I had all this internal junk and shame and bleh happening that I didn't really have hope for what the future was going to look like. And in this moment where I was heading a direction that I did not want to go, And let me be honest with you. I can share this part of the story and it's like, oh, seventh grade Caleb was struggling. No, 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 no. I struggled with this for years. I was graduating high school and watching buddies. Man, I had a buddy that got a girl pregnant. I had a buddy that got hooked on drugs. These were guys that I loved that I was doing daily life with. And I'm in this weird in-between trying to figure out who I am and what I want to do with my life. And I'm struggling and there's just this shame and all this... And it really felt like at some point Jesus just went. And he didn't really have to say anything. He just stepped in and stood there. Right in between me and justice. That is the gospel. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. On Sunday, Easter Sunday, this week, what we are celebrating is that. That God so loved the world. Silence often speaks louder than words. There's an old song that Pastor Josh and I have literally been crying about all week. It's called Written in Red. If you want to find it, you can find it on an old Gaither vocal album somewhere. (laughs) And and the lyrics, I want to read it to you. He says, in letters of crimson, God wrote his love on a a hillside so long ago. For you and for me, Jesus died. And love's greatest story was told. And the chorus just says, I love you. I love you. I love you. That's what Calvary said. I love you. I love you. I love you. Written in red. Down through the ages, God wrote his love with the same hands that suffered and died. Giving all he had to give a message so easily read. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's what Calvary says. I love you. I love you. I love you. Written in red. And I pulled into the church parking lot on Monday and I was listening to this song. And just with all just vulnerability, I listened to it and the song ended. And maybe more sincere than ever in my life, I said, I love you too. And I don't know that I have ever said it like that before. But when this dude sang, I love you, I love you, that's what Calvary said, I love you, I love you, I love you, written in red. I was like, yeah, I love you too. With Easter coming up Sunday, if you don't hear anything else I said tonight, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And that is what Calvary says.
and I know it's hard and I know stuff has happened and life is crazy and I get all the things and what we deserve is something much different than what he's given us. But favor isn't fair. And it's as simple as confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that's where salvation is found. You stand to your feet across the house. Eyes closed, nobody looking around. I don't know what, um, what your life looks like right now. But there's a special, a special anointing in the room tonight. If you're here and maybe it's for the first time, maybe it's for the hundredth time with nobody looking around. If you're here and you'd say... Um, Pastor, I am Barabbas. I'm in this in-between, and um, the way my life is going right now isn't great. And I want to give my life to Jesus so that he can step in between me and the justice that's coming this way. If that's you with nobody looking around, will you throw a hand up for me? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord. If it's for the first time or if it's for the hundredth time, let's all pray this together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving me. I give you my life. I confess that you are Lord. Please be my Savior. If you're in the room tonight and you say, Pastor Caleb, I, uh, I really just need to know that he loves me, that he sees me. If that's you, will you throw a hand up? Yeah. Yeah, I see your hand. I see your hand. God, I don't know how to put what's in my heart into words to put into their heart, but Holy Spirit, I know you do. God, I ask that you will meet us right where we are tonight. that we would hear that just loud, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I know it's hard, I know it's weird right now, but I love you, I love you, I love you, and don't ever lose sight that that is what Calvary says. So Jesus, we thank you for your love and for your mercy. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will move over hearts and minds right now tonight. For the broken, for the wounded, for the hurting, God, bring peace, bring joy, bring anointing, bring comfort. God, we thank you for who you are. And Jesus, we thank you for Easter. Right now, I speak blessing and anointing and favor over this congregation and over their families. That physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially, they would be blessed and favored as your children. And Lord, as we transition and have some, some fun time, I ask that there would be a, an anointing for joy in the house. That there'd be a confidence well up inside of us that, man, Jesus loves me. And that that would spur us forward to live a life that loves you. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, make some noise for Jesus tonight.